Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Ladies and gentlemen, there seems to be a new press release or article or story that that I come across, it seems like certainly every week, but probably every other day or so about some new technology that that is doing something medically related and some of these things, it's, it's really fuzzy and it's not very clear. Are these medical devices? Are they regulated medical devices? Are they not? And I, I think this this topic of general wellness, uh, this general wellness exemption, this 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 notion that was introduced formally from FDA a couple of years ago is one that's really interesting and and one that um, you know to put it in Mike Drew's words might uh, have opened Pandora's box. So Mike and I talk about general wellness products, the pros and cons, you know, the go to market paths. Uh, and, and some different things to consider. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, MVP of quality and regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Folks, it seems like there's a really uh, hot topic, I guess. I, I don't know how you would label it, but something that keeps coming up over and over and over again wearables, general wellness devices, man, it seems like there's a, a real blurry line between some of these products that are in our face that we might be wearing on our body and uh, whether or not these are or should be regulated or classified as medical devices. So very gray area. You know, one of the, in my opinion, the leading experts in this space, he does a lot of work in this space, is Mike Drews. Mike is as you probably know by now, the uh, president of vascular sciences and a frequent guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast. Mike, welcome. Thank you, John. Well, probably a good place to start before we get into some of the minutiae and the details. It might be good to, to give folks a little bit of an overview or a recap of what a general wellness device is, maybe with a couple of examples. So would you mind diving into that a little bit? Yeah, sure, John. That's a great place to start. Thanks for the opportunity to have this discussion with you and your audience. So simply put, a wellness medical device is not a regulated medical device. In other words, it does not fit the Code of Federal Regulations or CFR definition of a medical device, meaning that it does not diagnose, treat, prevent a disease, injury, or condition. So Many people use the phrase medical device, but I sort of think of it in two parts. One are regulated medical devices, which I'm sure most of the audience is familiar with, that require some oversight from the FDA, some evaluation in the form of a 510K or de novo or PMA. It could be class one, it could be class two, could be class three. A wellness device is what I often refer to as class zero. That's not a phrase that FDA uses, but it's a phrase that I use, class zero, meaning that it's still a medical device, but it's not, it does not require any uh, oversight from the FDA. And when I say oversight, John, I literally mean not only no 510K or de novo or PMA, no FDA registration, no quality management system, no design controls, no nothing. 
so it is not regulated at all by the FDA. Does that make sense? Well, it makes sense. I mean, I guess I might be hung up on the term medical device because it seems to me if if something was labeled a medical device, even if it's a, quote, class zero medical device, uh, according to your definition, that there would still be some certain behaviors or expectations. But at the same time, I mean, and I know we're going to get into some of this. This is sort of that gray area of what what um, what sort of systems or controls or oversight or, or processes should be in place. Uh, we may or may not get into all of that, but but I, I mean, it, does that term does calling something a, a general wellness device that is a class zero, do, calling it a medical device? Do you think that creates any sort of confusion? Well, perhaps. So, John, I mean, um, there are examples which we can get into, but before we do, let me be crystal clear. When I say that it is exempt from FDA oversight, I mean that in a regulatory and a quality sense, but I don't mean that it's exempt from what you and I have talked about in the past, uh, prudent engineering. Yeah, in other words, the, 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 the basic testing, the basic, you know, making sure that whether it's regulated by FDA or not, the stuff that it's that we say it will do, it will actually do. You know, when FDA originally released the guidance for the wellness exemption a couple of years ago, I said to them, either purposely or inadvertently, you've opened up a Pandora's box here because there are regrettably going to be some folks that are going to use this as an excuse to bring products onto the market under this wellness exemption that quite frankly, shouldn't, that, you know, make claims about devices that, quite frankly, shouldn't. And regrettably, John, that is exactly what's been happening. As a matter of fact, recently, FDA is now cracking down on some of these companies for making such claims. I'll give you just one of several uh, growing number of examples. Just two months ago in April, FDA put out a warning to several manufacturers who were apparently making claims about their device as an assessment uh, or diagnostic tool for head injuries, including concussions. And FDA said, and I'm quoting, FDA has identified several manufacturers that were making medical devices for concussion diagnosis, treatment, or management without FDA's approval or clearance. So I, I hate to say it, John, but there are some folks that um, are using this as an excuse to avoid the FDA. And one other quick example from my world I'll share, John, because as you you mentioned, um, I do a lot of work with companies with, with wellness devices. I've had a few companies come to me and uh, ask me if I can help them uh, bring their device onto the market under the wellness exemption. And when they describe to me their device, I say, you know what? I don't think I have the bandwidth right now to help you. You're probably better off finding somebody else. What I'm really saying, John, this is sort of a polite, this is sort of code speak of saying, hey, I do not feel comfortable, never mind as a regulatory professional, but as a biomedical engineer, I do not feel comfortable with this particular product on the market as a wellness device. Yeah. I mean, that kind of stinks, but but I, I suspect that you're probably right that a lot of people are looking at this as a loophole that they can avoid the compliance and the regulation side of things and <clears throat> as a quote fast fast track or fast path to to get something on the market and uh you know that's unfortunate uh, i certainly you know hope that's not the case um and i want to get into well, some pros and cons here in a minute, moment but 
I just had a question. I mean, I guess when I think of a, like a wellness device, I almost think of it as as it's a, some sort of a direct to consumer, something that me as a human, I can go to the store and, and buy this. And I think a lot of products, general wellness devices probably fit in that sort of def- definition. But can you think of any uh, wellness devices that, that might be you know, direct to like hospitals or, or caregivers rather than direct to, to the consumer? I'm just trying to give folks a little bit of more context of what is and is not a wellness device. So let's take what is perhaps the classic example of a wellness device, and that is a Fitbit. Everybody's familiar with a Fitbit. The question is, um, is a Fitbit a wellness device or is it a regulated device? Would it need to go through um, some sort of FDA review? And the simple answer to that question, John, is nobody, including FDA, can answer that question simply based on the information that I've provided, because it depends on not just the technology and the risk, but it also depends on the labeling. So, for example, if I label the Fitbit just to be used as a, uh, you know, to monitor your heart rate during exercise, for example, so that you make sure that your heart rate is in the target zone and get your maximum exercise benefit, then there's no question. That's a wellness uh, device, and that would be exempt from any FDA uh, oversight. On the other hand, if we were to take exactly the same Fitbit and label it uh, with some sort of a medical claim, like your heart rate is above uh, 160 beats per minute, therefore you have a tachycardia, or below 60 beats per minute, you have a bradycardia or something. Now we're crossing over that line, John. Remember I said at the beginning, does the does the device fit the CFR definition of uh, a medical device, meaning uh, prevent, diagnose, or treat a disease, injury, or condition? So that's the litmus test. Whether you're talking about a wellness device, whether you're talking about a piece of software, whether we're, you're talking about an in vitro diagnostic, whether you're talking about, I don't care what it is, the litmus test is the CFR definition. That's what everything comes back to. All right. Well, that helps me a little bit. And I think at least... Personally, the um, the confusion didn't didn't clear up a whole bunch. Uh, you know, if, if you I know you're aware, uh, a few months back, I think it was late last year, the uh, Apple Watch uh, was granted uh, de novo status <clears throat> for their their new Apple Watch with EKG uh, monitoring and so on. You know, I think prior to that, and we would look at an Apple Watch as hey, there's it's a wellness product, but now it's crossed the line into being more of a regulated device. And I guess that's an interesting maybe way to dive into a little bit deeper on this topic. Can you maybe elaborate on on some of the advantages or the pros and cons of bringing a, a device or a product to market first as a wellness product and then maybe later following it as a, a regulated medical device? What are, what are some of the advantages to doing that? Well, first of all, the Apple Watch is a is a uh, a wonderful example of what we're talking about here, John. Specifically, in terms of the claims, I don't have the claims for the Apple Watch in front of me at the moment, but um, I am familiar with that product. The regulated version of that product does have stronger uh, claims on it than the wellness version or the equivalent of the wellness version of the same device. So, in terms of uh, advantages. There are a number of advantages of um, and disadvantages of going the wellness route versus the uh, versus the um, uh, the regulated route. On the wellness side, 
a clear advantage since it does not require any oversight from the FDA. If we had a medical device ready to go that fit under the wellness exemption, we could literally start marketing it this afternoon. We wouldn't need any permission. So for those of you that are familiar with the uh, with the animal medical device side of the world, it's exactly the same thing. If you're coming out with a medical device for a dog or a cat, there's no 510K or PMA or anything required. We could start marketing it this afternoon. Um, on the other side, the advantage of with a regulated medical device is you can make much stronger medical claims. In other words, you can, assuming that you have the evidence to support it, uh, make claims that you can uh, prevent, diagnose, or treat an injury, disease, or condition. Um, and that's going to have perhaps greater market value. Um, as a general, it's probably also going to have greater acceptance in the clinical community um, to be able to say that your product was reviewed by the FDA. There are some people that believe that that adds credibility. On the reimbursement side, as a general rule, there are exceptions, but as a general rule, regulated medical devices are reimbursed um, at a higher rate than wellness devices. Most wellness devices are not reimbursed by CMS or private insurers at all. Uh, most of the time, people have to be paying for those things out of pocket. Uh, so there's clearly advantages and disadvantages to both. But one of the things that I talked about even a few years ago, John, is a strategy that I've used now on probably at least five or six occasions where we have two versions of the device on the market at the same time. One version of the device um, under the wellness exemption with nothing from the FDA um, with what I call dumbed down medical claims and a second version of the exact same device with a 510K or a de novo. Um, and when I say exactly the same device, John, I literally mean the device itself is the same, the same uh, design, the same materials, the same mechanism of action. The only thing that's different between the two is the labeling, the claims that we make. In one case, we have weaker medical claims, so-called dumbed-down claims, and in the other case, we have stronger medical claims. And I can give a quick example of that. If yeah, you want sure. To. Be, yeah, go ahead. I think that would be helpful. So, so here's one example. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about a product that everybody's familiar with. That socks, literally the the item of clothing that people wear on your your um, your feet. The question is, is this a regulated medical device? Well, most people say, "Oh my God, that Drews guy must be a wackadoodle. How could he even ask such a question?" <laughs> well, <laughs> really, what it depends on, John, is not just the device itself, what it does, how it works, and so on, but what you say. So if your claim is just simply to put on your feet to keep your feet warm or improve comfort or something like that, then that is clearly not under FDA's purview. On the other hand, if you want to make a claim, for example, that it prevents deep vein thrombosis or DVT or something like that, now you're making a specific medical claim. In other words, once again, it goes back to the CFR definition of a device uh, preventing, diagnosing, or treating a disease injury condition. And therefore, you are going to require uh, FDA oversight. And in this particular case, John, believe it or not, there are three FDA product codes uh, that include socks, literally the socks that you wear on your feet. Um, who knew? And in one, who knew? <laughs> who knew? And in one particular case, for those in the audience that want to, you know, do some fact checking here, if you look up 
product code DWL, you will find, at least that's the last time I did this search, um, um, uh, several months ago now, there were some 65 510Ks for uh, products, you know, for stockings in this particular area. So it's a great example of, uh, you know, something that can vary one way or the other, depending on, on what you say. And I'll take that one step further. I have a company that I'm working with right now. I have to be a little bit careful. They want to, uh, they have a device that is technologically identical to existing devices that are regulated by the FDA as class two devices as a 510K. They want to bring the same device onto the market with a dumbed down label claim without going through the FDA. And one of the, under the wellness exemption, and one of the things I'm trying to get them to understand is we have to be able to uh, explain, we have to be able to come up with a rationale as to if the technology is the same and it stands to reason then that the risk is the same, how can FDA treat this device as a class two in one situation and not be regulated by the FDA at all in mm. another situation simply because we changed our, our words. You know, um, yeah. John Shakespeare said, a rose by other, other names still smells as sweet. So one of the things that I've encouraged not just this company to do, but every single company in the wellness area that I work with is to put together what I call a wellness device exemption justification. You're very familiar with, John, the letter to file, and we've talked about this before. Yeah, absolutely. My, my wellness device exemption justification is patterned on the same regulatory logic for the letter to file. In other words, in this justification, we, we describe the device, we address the three major requirements of the wellness exemption, being labeling technology and risk. We explain in detail why our wellness device meets those requirements. We also provide um, perhaps some examples of other devices, similar devices that are on the market without FDA oversight and so on. John, this is just like a letter to file. This is a CYA document because what I want to avoid is um, a situation like I mentioned earlier with these companies that are advertising uh, devices for uh, concussion diagnosis that they're not cleared for. I want to avoid a situation where we put a device out there without any FDA oversight, and a few months from now, there's a knock on the door. It's FDA. They say, hey, we, you seem to be advertising this medical device here. We don't remember you ever coming and talking to us about it. What the heck is going on? What I don't want to be, what I don't want to happen, and I've seen this ha uh, happen to other people, John, is in a situation where you say, oh, gee, I forgot, or worse, oh, gee, you caught me. I say, oh, no, 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 Mr. or Mrs. FDA reviewer, come on in, sit down, have a cup of coffee. I don't know. Are we allowed to still give them coffee anymore? I'm not sure. I don't Let think me so, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pull out my wellness device exemption justification that we put together six months ago. Um, that has all of the details of not just what we did, but why we did it. In other words, I want to make it painfully obvious to my FDA friends that I'm not forgetting anything, that I'm certainly not hiding anything. In other words, that I know what I'm doing. To me, John, this is not required, because as I said earlier, under the wellness exemption, nothing is required. But to me, this is part of being a responsible corporate citizen. Um, it's a CYA 
document. And the last thing that I'll mention about it is I'm not talking about a 300-page PhD dissertation here. It can be maybe as short as a dozen or 15 pages. You know, I don't want to get caught up on page limits. But it's got to address, it's got to explain why our device is a legitimate fit under the, the wellness exemption. Does that make yeah, sense? It totally makes sense. And, and uh, I would... Uh kind of elaborate on that a little bit more based on conversations that you and I have had both on the general, global medical device podcast and uh, just other conversations that we've had when you make that, that case uh, and, and document why your product is a wellness device. Uh, you know, I'll pull a page out of the Mike Drew's playbook uh, where, you know, you, you basically compare or you make a, a case, it's like this, and here's why it's like this, and it's not like this, and here's why it's not like that. But it's almost like using a, a similar sort of approach as you, you might from like a predicate uh, standpoint whenever you're putting together a 510K. But something like that, that way it's, it's crystal clear that you put some thought into this and you analyze and evaluated uh, things that are like what you're doing, things are, that are seem similar to what you're doing and how you're different and, and why, you know, you're, you're making that case. So I think it's important to be thorough and, and I hope companies take this, that are exploring this, this particular path to bring this, these types of products to the market will consider this as, as a best practice and something that, that you should be doing as just, like you said, being a good corporate citizen, a good business uh, leader. Well, I can't speak about other folks, John, but to use your phrase, in, in my world, this is my best practice. And as I said, this is something that I strongly recommend to all of the, the companies that I'm working yeah. with in the, in the wellness area. It makes good um, sense. And one other thing that makes things a little bit more complicated is many people have asked me, is, you know, FDA, as you know, has lots of different databases. Is there a wellness device database? Well, unfortunately, no. Because largely, how would we put one together? In other words, because um, wellness devices are not required to go to the FDA, FDA, unless somebody tells them about them or unless they see an ad on the TV or something, they're not going to know about them. So how are they going to, to find out about these devices and put them into a, a database? And so one of the suggestions I've made, and this might not be quite so popular to some of your uh, people in the, in the audience, John, is even under the wellness exemption, even though there's no FDA requirements for oversight, we should still require companies perhaps to uh, use the word register loosely here. Notify. Register with, no, thank you, that's a better word. Notify the FDA and perhaps pay a very small notification fee so that we can establish a wellness device uh, database. Um, I think that would save a lot of us, myself included, a lot of time. Yeah, um, I think it would really bring this above board. Uh, another thing that I've suggested to the FDA many times is there's no way, unfortunately, that a company can go to the FDA prophylactically and say, hey, here's our device. It is a wellness device for all of the following reasons. Do you agree that this is a wellness device? Um, unfortunately, the only way for a company really to find out is if they start marketing a device under the wellness exemption and FDA, you know, comes yelling and screaming saying, Hey, you can't do this, yada, yada, yada. We could eliminate many of these problems if we created a prophylactic mechanism that, that companies could, could use. Um, and believe me, I've been working with the agency for the better part of the last two years to try to create one. 
whether it's a form of a pre-sub or a request for designation. There's a lot of ways that it can be done. But unfortunately, John, we're talking about the U.S. government here. They're not exactly known for their expediency. But in my yeah. opinion, this is, a, this is a huge problem for people working in this industry. I'm glad you brought that up because I was kind of thinking as, as we've been talking that this seems like it seemed like a good use of a pre-submission uh, for this type of, of communication, but it sounds like that's, that's, I mean, I know it's not necessarily the intent or how the pre-submission was designed for, but it, it seems like that there's already some mechanism to, to get that audience to, as you say, prophylactically let FDA know, hey, this is what we're doing and here's the, the evidence to support what we're doing, but, but maybe a pre-submission isn't a very good fit for that. Well, I'll give you uh, a quick example from my world on how I've tried to accomplish exactly that. So, as you know, John, unlike a lot of other folks, I refuse to let regulation, to use regulation as an excuse to hold me back. And even though there isn't a formal mechanism to do what we're talking about now, we have to figure out a way to get the job done. I have gone to the FDA. I have to be a little bit careful what I say here. I've gone to the FDA as both a pre-sub and in a couple of cases as a request for designation, making, mm, how do I describe this, a very weak argument that this is a regulated medical device, kind of in the hopes of them coming back and saying, hey, this is not a regulated medical device. Don't waste our time talking to us about it. So I, you know, that's, you know, one of the more creative ways, it's kind of like the concept of an indirect proof, if you remember from high school geometry. In other words, you prove what something isn't. And then once you prove what it isn't, what you're left with is what it is. So that's the regulatory logic I'm, I'm, I'm using here. I'm uh, providing a weak proof that it's a regulated medical device um, in hopes that FDA is going to say, no, it's a, it's a wellness device. But I'll be the first to admit, John, we need a better process to do this. Yeah, and, and it's um, funny. I've got a news feed that's, that's on my screen as we're talking. Uh, You'll, you'll love this headline, and I'll send you the link later, but uh, it says, Alexa, monitor my heart. First contactless cardiac arrest AI smart speaker system. So, I mean, this is, this is uh, to your point earlier, the, the bo- Pandora's box has been opened, and, and uh, there's all kinds of, uh, I'll say, creativity being applied, it seems like, in this space. I haven't dug into this, folks. Um, maybe this is, uh, this is a hoax. I'm not sure, but... Uh, kind of interesting to think about all of these devices and technology and uh, this this whole notion of general wellness and crossing that line. They're being very gray or blurry as to whether or not it should be regulated as a, a medical device. Um, it's, it's a, there, there are very blurry lines, John. Yeah. And as we get close to wrapping this up, I would like to just offer one last quick example. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an example of another of the sayings I often use, and that is average regulatory professional knows, knows the rules. The best regulatory professionals know the exception. So um, there is, believe it or not, here's a little regulatory trivia for our audience. There is a product code, PGJ, that when you look at the device description, it's a wellness oximeter. It's a pulse oximeter intended for wellness use. I'm reading right out of the product code database. So the question is, is that a wellness device? Well, if you look at the description of that product code, John, it's class two. 
So uh-huh. clearly, it's not a wellness device. But when you look at the submission type, usually that's where you see 510K or PMA or something. In this particular case, the submission type is, it says, quote, enforcement discretion. Those terms drive me crazy, Mike, because it's like, uh, that isn't, that isn't, it's not helpful <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Or, or that's a sort of a polite way of saying, uh, FDA saying, you go and do whatever it is that you want, and we'll think about later how we might react to it. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. as, as you can imagine, it's not, um, and I hope, you know, I really hope seriously that our, that our audience understands why John and I are both laughing about this. We're not laughing in a, like a ha-ha sense of the word. Um, uh, but, you know, but, but this is a, a challenge, no question about it. Well, yeah, this is a this is a tricky topic for sure. And I, I think, you know, to kind of wrap things up, I think we kind of focus a little bit on, I, I would, it seems like the most common path, if you will, if for the folks that are developing products that are, might be wellness uh, type of de- devices, that generally is to go uh, general wellness sort of as the first path to market and then later follow as a regulated medical device. That seems sort of logical, I suppose. Um, I have, uh, John, I have um, about five or six devices on the market now where we have done exactly that, where we started out with a wellness device and then we went to the FDA later. Um, This is sort of a form of a label expansion with kicked up label claims with stronger medical claims in some cases as a 510K, in other cases as a de novo. And believe it or not, John, in one, albeit very extreme, unusual case, uh, a PMA. So there is, I won't mention it, but there is one product out there that one version of the device is under the wellness exemption. Another version of the same device is a PMA. So there's a continuum. There's a a scale here that we can slide back and forth on. But the other thing I wanted to mention, John, although the more common scenario is to go from wellness to regulated version, in one or two cases, I have devices that I'm working on right now where we're going back the opposite way. In other words, the company either already has a 510K version or wants to go to the FDA with a 510K version. And then after that, they want to have a second version of the device uh, under the wellness exemption. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we can connect these dots in different orders and different sequences. And this is all about the regulatory strategy. This is something that I spend a lot of time with companies talking about and explaining all of the different options that they have and the advantages and disadvantages. But the most important thing to remember, John, is if you're going to bring a device onto the market under the wellness exemption, and then you plan on following it up with a regulated version. Make darn sure that your supporting evidence, that all of your justification for your wellness device um, is, is, is in order. In other words, be 100% confident that you can defend your decision that this is, in fact, a legitimate wellness device. Because believe it or not, John, I've seen it happen to other people where they bring a device onto the market as a wellness device. They go to the FDA with, the, with Gen 2, which is, a, say, a 510K. And in the process, FDA finds out about the wellness version and they say, gee, we don't know what the heck you're smoking. You must be smoking your socks because (laughs) we don't see that as a wellness device. And now you're, you know, now you're in a whole, you know, (laughs) a whole world of hurt. And believe it or not, I've seen this happen. Fortunately, not for the companies that I work with, but to other companies out there, uh, you got to know what you're doing. 
Well, I think that's a really great uh, way to kind of sum things up today, folks. Uh, you know, you, you probably know this by now, but it's worth repeating, even if you do. When it comes to, uh, and I mean these as compliments, creative, innovative, regulatory strategies, there, there's no one better in this this market these days than Mike Drews of Vascular Sciences. So reach out to him. Uh, this is what he does. He he understands, you know, how to to build sound business cases to support these different options and paths to go to market. And, you know, pick up on what he said at the beginning of this podcast. If, if, he, uh, if he happens to tell you he's a little too busy and uh, maybe doesn't have time to help you with that, uh, that's, a, that's a code for you that maybe you're not doing what you should be doing. So take that as so- sound, solid advice. Folks, uh, uh, I just want to remind you all that uh, at, at Greenlight, of course, you've been avid listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast for for pro- hopefully a long time. And if not, you know, we've done well over 100 episodes by now. So you've got some listening to catch up on. So be sure you go check all of the previous episodes out. Um, we also have recently launched a brand new podcast. Yeah, that's right. We have expanded. We have a new podcast called MedTech True Quality Stories. Uh, it is fascinating where we get to talk to med tech professionals like yourself, people that are in the trenches, people that are you know, trying to bring products to market or implement quality systems and going through ISO audits and FDA inspections. And, and they're sharing some of their stories, how they over, overcame obstacles and barriers uh, to, to get and achieve success. So a really fun time for me to, to get to talk to those folks. And I would encourage you to, to go check out MedTech True Quality Stories. You can find it wherever you're listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Uh, as always, if you need uh, some help in any way, shape, or form with your quality management system, guess what? Greenlight Guru, we have you covered there as well. Greenlight Guru is the only EQMS software solution designed specifically for the medical device industry by actual medical device professionals. So go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. Uh, again, let me thank my guest, Mike Drews from Vascular Science. As always, it's a real pleasure for me to have a chance to chat with him about hot topics that are facing our industry. So there will be another one here soon, I assure you. And as always, this is your host, founder, and VP of Quality at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. <laughs>